right, full crew back here for Behind the Yellow Line. We got Jeremy, we've got Randall. Cubs in the midst of a trying homestand here. They dropped three or four to the Dodgers. They split the first two with the Padres as we get set for the finale. That's going to be tomorrow, Thursday, a 120 game as the Cubs try and at least pull off a series victory against the Padres. And Ronan, speaking of series victories, let me be the first to say happy birthday as our listeners as our listeners have this episode uh, enter their ears on the day, Thursday, April 27th. A happy birthday to our host, Ronan O'Shea, the, the architect, the host, the driving force, uh, whatever adjectives you want to uh, apply to him. And there are many. A uh, happy birthday, Ronan. Thank you, Randall. Let me let me jump on that train as well. Uh, happy birthday to uh, Ronan. Tomorrow, or when people are listening, today will be the big day uh, for Ronan's April 27th birthday, and uh, it's nice to have gotten, I know he was very happy to be in town this past week and get all the accolades and and fanfare that came with that, and so, but tomorrow he'll be back in Denver, and uh, he'll have, or today as you're listening, he'll have a big birthday experience, and I think you should all wish Ronan a giant happy birthday, as you did for Randall earlier this year. Well, the only birthday wish I need is a W against the San Diego Padres. Um, You lose three or four to the Dodgers. You're thinking, okay, Dodgers are a good team, but you don't want to end this homestand with a whole bunch of losses, especially after a great trip out West. No, a two two and five homestand would be disappointing. Uh, This Dodgers team is not the Dodgers team of years past. This Padres team has struggled to start the season. You need at least one more win on this homestand to to feel good about it. And all the losses... You know, early in the season, you can say, well, they were in the game. You know, they didn't do anything egregiously wrong. They just got beat. All these losses, all of these losses have been stinging losses, bad losses, the kind that stick in your craw for a little bit. You need one more win on this homestand to really feel good about that. Hopefully the Cubs can pull that off uh, today, Thursday. Yeah, these are two, two, I think they're two pretty good teams. I mean, I, I know their records don't quite show it, but I'm pretty confident that at the end of the year, the Dodgers, excuse me, the Dodgers and the Padres will be both be there at the end of the year. And the uh, especially in the NL West, I, I don't think the Diamondbacks are long for being on top of that division. Uh, although, you know, oddly enough, it seemed like the Pirates might just actually be good because they've been beaten up on the Dodgers these last two nights, even if the Dodgers didn't have a comeback win the other night. Uh, but I, I'm actually pretty OK with I mean, I, I would like to see them win, obviously, but. I'm pretty okay with the way this series has gone, especially if they pull out the win tomorrow. I didn't really, I I would have liked to have seen two, two. I would have liked to have seen against the Dodgers. I would like to see them, you know, try to even win the series uh, against the Padres, but I just wanted to be kind of treading water with those two teams. Cause I still think they're good. And then we got Miami and Washington coming up and I think we can do damage there, but yeah, tomorrow's a, a huge day, Thursday game. Um, you know, and hopefully Hayden Wesneski can get out there and show us what he's got. It will be Hayden on the mound for the Cubs Thursday. Been up and down for him this year. It, it, it's been disappointing in the early going. We saw such a great spring out of him. Uh, we, we saw such a great late season debut from him in the early going. Like you said, it's been inconsistent. It's been up and down. He's not quite getting the swings and misses on the slider with which he made his name when he came up last year. So, you know, I don't, I'm not a pitching coach. I'm, I'm not that smart when it comes to pitching. Uh, but, you know, it's the sort of thing you hope he gets ironed out and he, hopefully he can turn in. You know, we thought Oakland, he was going to turn the corner a little bit. Didn't work out that way. Hopefully he can figure that out because I think there's a lot better days ahead for him. 
He's been struggling, as you said, Randall. He, uh, It's been tough. It's been a, a tough kind of start to the season for a guy that we thought was going to come in and, and really kind of be like a really good, a decent pitcher. Not, not quite what we've seen from Justin Steele, but we thought after last year, like he was, you know, a top notch kind of prospect. And he, he came in to this season really hot in spring training. He looked phenomenal. And then just kind of coming into the, the season, not really pitching all that well, as we've seen these first couple of weeks, but I still have faith in Hayden. I think he's gotten beat by a lot of kind of weak, you know, contact, uh, there have been moments where he hasn't really finished his pitches and he left a lot of pitches in the zone, which hasn't been nice, but like he gave up a win aided home run to Mookie Betts against the Dodgers. That was like 97, you know, miles per hour, but he got hung up in the wind on a day and went right in the jet stream and he went out. And then there was some other weak contact in that game that he pitched that, you know, I, I, I kind of thought, yeah, he's laboring a little bit, but it, it didn't seem too terrible to me. So, but we'll see when Hayden comes out there and I think he's going to lock it down, but if he doesn't, who knows? I, he's a guy I could see eventually making it back to AAA Iowa if he's not really performing. Now, it makes it all the more important that a, somebody, a pitcher that I don't think any of us had real big designs for is that Drew Smiley has stepped up and he's turned in a, a pretty good run here. And of course, the two of you had the pleasure of seeing a near-perfect game broken up on just the dumbest of all plays last week but you know while West Nesky has struggled and we expected better from him we didn't expect a whole lot from Drew Smiley and he's on a nice little run right now he was excellent I I thought that he I couldn't believe how fantastic he was when we were watching him in that game uh last week you know sitting up there in, in section 319 R's where we were and he was he's been phenomenal he came out and he had what six uh strikeouts in a row in that game at one point it's been absolutely fantastic watch a pitch. He struggled a little bit today in the fourth inning, but really he got through a pretty tough line of five innings and he only gave up two runs uh, tonight against the Padres. So I think he's been pitching very well. And it's been very nice to see from Drew Smiley. Uh, you know, we wanted a guy kind of a guy who can kind of solidify like that fifth spot, you know, be a reliable kind of starter every fifth day. And so far we've gotten really good pitching out of him. So I think that Drew Smiley is a, is definitely been a big part of this kind of, you know, Cubs team that's maybe playing a little bit over, you know, their record. Obviously, Drew Smiley has been pitching kind of better than what we expected. But when you saw him against the Dodgers, he was pretty dominant that day. He's getting some of the weakest contact in all of Major League Baseball. Uh, he, I think against the Dodgers, he had what? It was like the average uh, exit velocity was 81 miles per hour, which is ridiculous. So I, Drew Smiley has been very good for the Cubs. And I, I, I kind of expect, I don't expect him to obviously be this good, but I, I still think, you know, he's could be a pretty solid pitcher for this team. Now, now, Ronan, here's a question for you. We've documented your jinxing abilities every day leading up to that game you were at. You told Jeremy and I, Smiley's going to give up seven earned. Smiley's going to give up seven earned. Now, is that a conscious effort on your part to try and reverse jinx him? Or, you know, is it just kind of setting your expectations low and hoping for the best? I, I just think that going into the game, you look at it and you go, this is not the Cubs' best pitcher. This is the best pitcher for the Dodgers. Cubs got to him a week ago. What are the odds? Twice in a week, you're going to get this matchup go favorably for the Cubs. So 
That's all. I mean, you, but that's the beauty of baseball. You go to the ballpark, they play, and then you see what happens. And I don't think anybody could have written up what happened Friday at Wrigley. Um, and very encouraging. I was low on Drew Smiley coming into the year. I didn't think anything that he's done in the majors, certainly in the last four or five years, warranted a multi-year deal. And I'm more than happy for him to tell me to shove it because they need it hmm. right now, especially with Tyone going onto the injured list. This is a guy that's really important for the Cubs right now, and he has been pitching well. Makes Wednesday's loss frustrating because if you're going to get a good start from Drew Smiley, you want to win, and that wasn't the case Wednesday. Yeah, not, not to, at all. It's unfortunate. And to build off of what Drew Smiley's been doing, I mean, entering to today's game, so not including today's game, he's 97th percentile in average exit velocity, 94th percentile in hard hit percentage. His numbers are almost – it's kind of really funny. If you look at his baseball savant page, the top half is all, like, very dark red, and the bottom half is all very dark blue, which is basically – the bottom half is basically his stuff. His fastball velocity, 16th percentile extension, you know, the getting out there on the mound with the arm as close to the home play as you possibly can. Only 5th percentile fastball has been 10th percentile. But guys can't hit it, apparently. They're, it's been very weak contact. He's gotten a pretty good amount of whiffs. He hasn't really walked anybody. Uh, 77th in, in walk percentile. So, you know, obviously we don't expect Drew Smiley to pitch as elite as he has been, but I think there's some sustainable things there, especially getting like the weak contact. That's kind of how we saw Kyle Hedrick succeed for a number of years, getting weak contact. And this Cubs team right now is very, is I think tops in the league in average exit velocity, which is what the success we're seeing from their pitching staff, which has had five shutouts in 23 games. Well, another starter who's been as advertised, Justin Steele here. We had high hopes for him coming into the year. He's been the Cubs' best starter by ERA, and it's only been a month. He's been the best starter in the National League. Four make it uh, one, two, three, four. Yeah, four of his five starts this year. He's gone at least six innings, so he's been rock solid, and maybe he is emerging as an ace in this rotation. We all had we all had high hopes for him. Every time in the offseason, you, you know, the question was, who do you have the biggest hopes for this season? Justin Steele was a name that kept coming up. He's lived up to that so far. It's still early. We're not even out of the first full month, uh, as I, I keep telling myself. But he has pitched up to that, to those expectations so far. And it's the sort of thing you hope he can sustain because we knew Stroman was probably going to be reliable. We knew Tyone was probably going to be reliable. He's here right now. If you've got three starters, you can generally count on to keep you in the game at the very least for three fifths of every turn through the rotation, that's going to give you a real chance of a productive August and a productive September. So Steele is living up to the promise so far. And he's, he's not, there's not really any outlier. Like you're not saying, well, when this comes back down to earth, he might struggle. He's doing it sustainably. And I would like to see him do it for a full season. Cause I think we all have those kind of hopes. Justin Steele's been excellent. Uh, he's been excellent since last season. We, we all saw it. Uh, last year, he had a 3.18 FIP last year, which was ridiculous. Uh, so, you know, you're, we're seeing it come into this season, and uh, he he's pitching. I think he's probably the most underrated pitcher in Major League Baseball. I'm He's going to be a big part of this future. And you look at it, he's once again another guy getting weak, extremely weak contact. He's 90th percentile in average exit velocity, just like most of the Cubs uh, starters. And I think Justin Steele, I'm not going to say he's going to be an ace, a, a number one starter, but I think he could be a strong number two for, you know, this Cubs team going forward and probably a lot of teams uh, going forward in the future. And 
I, I'm excited by it. It's nice to see the Cubs kind of develop a pitching prospect, which is we haven't seen that so long. And yeah, it took a while. It, 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 he's only he's already 27, 28 years old. So it, it took a while for him to actually develop into this prospect. But the Cubs did it. They developed what I think could be a pretty good frontline starter. And I, I, I'm very excited to see where he goes from here. I will say if I have one concern about him, it's that he's gone very four seamer and very slider heavy as he's experiencing the success. And the only concern you'd have is, is the league going to scout him heavily and learn what to do with those two pitches? And at that point is, you know, is the pendulum going to swing back in the other direction, but that's hypothetical. And until it happens, you know, Jeremy, I say this to you all the time. He's good until he isn't. So, you know, that's hypothetical. And until it gets to that point, it's fun seeing him go out there every fifth day and give you six to seven strong innings. That's true. It's just, you know, he's been doing this since June of last season. So it's not he like has. he's a Johnny come lately. It's not like, oh, it's the first three weeks of April. He There's been a lot of uh, chances for the league to kind of take a look at him. And he's been very successful. And, you know, yeah, it's not a huge sample of that, you know, since, you know, June-ish of last year. But it's not it's not a small sample either in terms of, you know, guys trying to figure him out. So I, 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 I'm I still excited for him. I think Justin Steele is a stud. And I think Justin Steele is – I think he could end up being the best pitcher currently on the staff right now. I think by the end of the season, we could be looking back and saying Justin Steele was the 2023 Cubs best starting pitcher. Well, the regulars have been good, and that's a, certainly an encouraging sign here. You know, we spent a good chunk of the offseason talking about injuries, needing depth in the starting rotation. So a groin injury has Tyone out sort of indefinitely right now. He's on the 15-day IL. We'll see where that goes. Javier Assad gets a spot start. Now we get word that Caleb Killian will make his season debut here on Friday night in Miami. So we're starting to see the depth getting tested a little bit in the starting rotation. How do you feel about that, Randall? That or I don't. You had something to say, but how do you feel about that Caleb Killian start Friday? I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm good with it. You were going to have to. You know, I'm stating the obvious here. You were going to have to start somebody. It was basically between Caleb Killian and Riley Thompson who has pitched very well at Iowa this season. Caleb Killian, of course, is already on the 40-man, so he doesn't require that 40-man move. So I'm good with it. I know he hasn't been great at Iowa this season, but it feel like, feels like he's been trending in the right direction. You're going to have to give him another chance at the major league level eventually. You might as well do it in Miami, which is a bigger, pulp, bigger ballpark. Hopefully he can avoid any major blowups. You're going to have to give him another chance eventually. It might as well be now. So I'm excited to see it. I'd much rather see Caleb Killian getting that spot start versus having, you know, Javier Assad come up again, which they couldn't do for the roster rules, but it, at least it's a more interesting, it's a more interesting name. It's definitely a more interesting name. And and at the, if you go back to the beginning of spring training, his first spring training start, I was like high on him. I thought, wow, that was a great start. Maybe kill it. Caleb Killian is going to be something this year. We all saw, we're so happy last season when he made that start, his first start in Wrigley against the Cardinals. We we were very high on him. He was coming off very strong season. And then it all kind of fell apart after that. And when you look at his numbers right now in, in AAA Iowa, it's all kind of not really that great. I mean, he has four walks in 11 innings. He only has six strikeouts in 11 innings. That's not very strong performance as we, we've seen right now. Uh, for the Iowa Cubs. But as you said, Randall, he's already in the 40 man. He's an easy guy to kind of call up, not really going to risk anything in terms of, of roster space, but uh, you know, Hey, maybe he comes up and he, he shoves pretty hard, but right now looking at it, I was like, well, I think Taylor Killian probably needs a little bit more seasoning in the minors. He doesn't seem to be ready for a major league appearance to me. Yeah. That may be fair. Um, also probably top heavy, in terms of a bad performance, his first start of the year for Iowa, April 2nd, 
two and a third innings, eight earned runs. So that's going to balloon everything. His last start for Iowa, April 19, five shutout innings, four strikeouts, no walks. So yes, overall numbers, not so good. Bloated by a bad opening day for him. Last two starts have been much better. So maybe he's figuring it out a little bit in the ride in the hot hand Friday in Miami. I agree with you uh, in terms of that. He's maybe he has figured it out with it. It's, it's so early when you look at these April numbers to really have any sort of idea of kind of what's going on, especially in the minor leagues, you know, like uh, with a pitcher, one bad start is obviously going to show everything up. It, it's just like when you first look at it, it's like, whoa. And, yeah. and coming off of his spring training where he had a really good start, the first start, and then kind of struggled more into that and his season last year, I'm I'm still hopeful for him. I still think he could be a really good pitcher. It's just like I I want Jameson Tyone to come back as soon as possible right now. Well, other side of things, offensively for the big league Cubs, what I'm most surprised with as we near the end of the first month of the season, Jan Gomes offensively, five home runs, been really amazed with what he's done with the bat here. The glove speaks for itself, but he's really been hitting well. I mean, what's uh, Boo calling him? Yanni Bench? Yanni Bench, yeah. It's a, pretty, a boog, it's a boog special. Yeah, how do you feel about that, Randall? Yanni Bench? You're, yeah, you're you know, I don't know that I would have gone that route, but, you know, boog has a little more creative license than I do, uh, so more power to him. Yeah, we're going to be having I, – I expect Randall to be all over Twitter calling him Yanni Bench over the next four yeah, months. It's a, but, it's a little much a little much for me. <laughs> but as you said, Jan Gomes has been uh, excellent from the uh, – from in the plate, and he's also been excellent behind the plate. Uh, you know, I, I give a little bit of credit to – the this Cubs pitching staff hot start to Jan Gomes, I think, and Tucker Barnhart and the catchers that they have. I do think that kind of plays up. I've, I've said it for, in my, you know, we haven't had the podcast for years, but I I've kind of said it for years where I thought one thing the Cubs did poorly after the world series was they kind of got away from having a good defensive catcher behind the plate having, you know, not just pitch framing, but somebody that can really control the game and uh, have the pitchers have confidence in him. And I, I do think that matters. And I do think it has knock-on effects for how the game is played. And I think Jan Gomes has kind of been a very solid hand behind the plate. And, he, uh, and he's been a very solid hand at the plate as we see these home runs he's hitting. So I've been pretty impressed so far by Jan Gomes. You know, we we all second guessed, or not we all, but there's a lot of second guessing of Jed in the offseason, letting an offense first guy like Wilson go, focusing on the defense. Where's the offense going to come from? This is not to say anything bad about Wilson Contreras, because even for all the bridges he's tried to burn, I, I don't want to bear him any ill will. But the Cardinals starting pitching has taken a complete nosedive where the Cubs starting pitching coming into play today, and this is this is an ethereal stat. It, it's not tell-all. It's not even all that effective sometimes. But coming into play today, Cubs pitchers had a 2.80 ERA throwing to Jan Gomes. That's a huge improvement. We know about his work behind the plate. And again, we know that Wilson occasionally had some issues with that. And I thought his issues with that were always overblown. But it's you know you're seeing, I think, the effects of that. So he's doing his job and then some. And I love this stat. Right now, he has a 141 OPS plus. He is 41% better than the average offensive player in MLB. He's not going to stay there. His career number in that stat is 92. But right now, 141 on the OPS plus. And I love watching stats like that fluctuate when a guy gets hot for like a week uh, here in the early going. He's he's definitely... He's had some good offensive seasons in his career. So, like, he's not a guy who 
is a week is necessarily a week back. Yeah, he's a catcher, so he's not going to be a super strong bet. But he's had some opportunity to hit, and he has hit in the past. But uh, as you said, Randall, it's not even comparing him to Wilson. I don't want to knock Wilson at all. But even last year with the Cubs starters, they pitched better to Jan Gomes. I mean, you can look at the Absolutely. numbers they did. I mean, is there anything to that? Probably a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm not a huge proponent of catcher ERA because oftentimes I think, you know, a big part of that is obviously how good the pitchers are. But sometimes there is something to it a little bit. And I think that just getting kind of that steady presence behind the plate, seeing what Jan Gomes has been able to do with the bat in his hand, uh, that's a huge reason, I think, why the Cubs are have been as good as they've been, why they're a few games over 500 as opposed to kind of how we expected the season to go. I, I think, I think it's a big part of it. I think getting a solid performance behind the plate is a huge key for any major league team. Ronan, I know all, all winter you were, Oh, Wilson to the Cardinals, Wilson, to the Cardinals. Then it came true. And you're, you're yeah. very pleased with yourself. How do we feel about Mr. Gomes in the early going here? Oh, it's just been great. He's doing everything that they need there. Uh, I think you guys said it well. He's hitting. The pitchers appear to be comfortable pitching to him. Um, I think it's a little overstated what's happening with the Cardinals being put on Wilson. There's a lot more to it, you know, than just Wilson being there. But we did talk in the offseason about a fundamental shift the Cardinals have made going from someone their fan base would say is maybe the greatest pitch caller of all time to Wilson and they have a rocky first month where my head's at a little bit more with the Cubs is, you know, we're a month in here to the three catcher. Cubs team. You got a couple of guys in Iowa right now that are tearing the cover off the ball, including Christopher Morrell. How do we feel about three catchers on the Cubs moving forward? Because one appears to be real solid in Jan Gomes. I think it's a waste of a roster spot, and I think they're going to come to that conclusion sooner versus later. Uh, you know, I'm sure they had their reasons for starting the season with Luis Torrens. It probably the big one was. Uh, you probably would have lost him had you not started the season with him on the big league roster. I, 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 I just don't think it's worth the roster spot at this point. You've got this 26 roster spot, you know, one more compared to past seasons. I think you need to use that better. I think, like you said, there's guys at Iowa, there's Christopher Morrell, who is, as we said, tearing the cover off the ball right now. I just think that roster spot could be better utilized because I don't think using it as a, as a third catcher, pinch hitter, and occasional DH, I don't think that's maximizing this roster. I agree with you, Randall. I, I think it's time for Luis, Luis Torrens to find his way out of Chicago. Not that I anything against Luis Torrens, it's just – you haven't seen anything of what I assume the Cubs envisioned when they put him in that uh, situation. He hasn't really hit at all. He had a monster spring training, but he hasn't hit. He has what a 618 OPS here, uh, no power, 300 slug. So he hasn't really kind of shown anything. And they've put him in a couple times against left-handers and it hasn't really worked. He hasn't done anything in those situations. So yeah, I agree with you, Randall. There's a few guys in Iowa that clearly deserve to be on the major league roster. It's, it's, they're clearly major league ready. So Christopher Morrell being one of them, I think he should be up tomorrow if he can be. And I I, I do think it's time to, to jettison Luis Torrens. It's, it's not personal, Luis. There have definitely been Cubs players for whom it has been personal. It's not personal, Luis. Honest promise. I, I just think that roster spot could be better utilized. And, you know, you, you happen to be the odd man out if you're listening. And the bat needs to be significant, right, to, to warrant him staying on the roster. And he needs to be playing every day, I think, to warrant him being on the roster. We're not seeing that from him. So it does seem a little bit strange. Uh, I think that there's concerns. Uh, Eric Hosmer 
is looking like Eric Hosmer again. Uh, the bat really nowhere to be seen at this point in time. Um, even guys like Miles Mastroboni, you know, where do they fit into this, right? There are multiple players in Des Moines that could be contributing to the big league team here. I don't think it's much longer for three catchers on this roster either. No, not not one bit. You know, Terence would be a fine guy to have on the roster if one of Barnhart or Gomes, heaven forbid, were to get hurt and Terenz becomes, you know, your your backup catcher, your starting catcher. I think he'd be a, a better guy if he were playing every day, just because I do think he'd be able to get into a little bit of a rhythm and give you something with the bat. But as this never starts, occasionally pinch hits guy, again, it's just dead weight. And we've talked about that all offseason was those two words, dead weight. Yeah. And the good news is that there are replacements waiting for when you get rid of that dead weight. We've had Cubs teams where the replacements were not ready. There were no reinforcements coming and you had to make do with what you have. That's not the case. Utilize the fringes of this roster better. I, I think that I think Torrens is, is not long for the roster and obviously there's a replacement there, but another guy I think that also could not be long for the roster is Edwin Rios. I, I think that he probably, you know, we want to see the power. It hasn't quite showed up a little bit. It, it, it had, he had, he's had, some okay, you know, games, but uh, I just don't think he's long for it. And I think if you get rid of Torrens, you get rid of Rios. I think that those could be the guys you see for Morel, and and we all know we're all like not talking about it, but Matt Mervis. Um, and it, I think you could do that while if the club wants to keep Eric Hosmer around for whatever reason, you know, whatever clubhouse. Uh, you know, chemistry or whatever reason they'll give for keeping him around. I, I still think there are ways you can get Mervis and Morell onto this roster without, you know, touching that. I think that Mervis can come up and start DHing if they're not confident in his first base ability. I, I think, you know, you get rid of Terenz, there's an easy spot for Matt Mervis to, to take on the roster. And I think you could fit, you can get him into games DHing. I know they want Chris Morrell every day, but I think he could play. If you remove Edwin Rios, he could be a third baseman. We've seen him be an infielder. Uh, so I, I just think they're, those are kind of the guys I'm kind of focused on. And as to seeing, I, I think they're not long for this roster. And 40 man spots being as valuable as they are, you've got two guys in Terenz and Hosmer who are, I think, pretty easy to get rid of. Hosmer, again, you're not on the hook to him for anything. You can just press that DFA button. I'm not a GM. I assume it's just a button you press on your console and the guy gets, you know, DFA'd like a trapdoor. Uh, but, you know, 40 man spots being at the premium that they are, again, the Cubs are in an almost enviable position that there's two really easy 40 man spots you can clear up to bring up a guy who is not currently on the 40 man. That's not a, that's not a luxury. That's a luxury that some teams don't have. Some teams have to lose a potentially valuable guy to waivers in order to add somebody to the 40 man. The Cubs don't have to be in that situation. So again, the, the reinforcements are there. The path for them to be on the major league roster is there. Hopefully the Cubs use that option sooner versus later, because I think that's uh, one of the glaring weaknesses of this roster. If you can call the fringe, a glaring weakness is that when you get to the edges of this roster, it just completely drops off and they've lost a couple of games because they just literally haven't had anyone better to take certain at bats or pitch in certain spots. I just don't think I, I I think that I don't think it's going to be Hosmer. I think everybody wants it to be Hosmer. I don't think it's going to be Hosmer. I think it's going to be, as I said, Torrens and Rios. I think Rios has a 500 OPS. He's barely played at all. He's played in nine games. I, I, I don't see them. I just think he's going to be the guy because I, I don't see them wanting to hold on to him either. And he's easy to get rid of. 
Um, I, I that's just my opinion. I, I don't think it's going to be Hosmer. Now, I could be mistaken. I think Rios has one option left. So you might be able to jettison him without necessarily losing him. But of course, he is a major league veteran to a certain degree, and that might not be the case. Did we all get an opportunity to read the article in The Athletic uh, by Mooney about why they haven't necessarily jettisoned Hosmer yet? How it's it's bad business to do that to a veteran this early on? I, I did not read that article. No, that's that's the summary. That's bad business to do because that, you know, other veterans won't come. I am I am quoting there. Is is that is that you know I don't know if that's organizational philosophy. I don't know if that's uh, Mr. Mooney's kind of conjecture. But that was those were the words he used. Bad business to jettison a stabilizing veteran presence. That's me paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. Bad, but bad business is not. Those are the two words he used. Bad business mm-hmm. to get rid oh. of Eric Hosmer this early. I don't know about that. Well, I would argue it's good business to remove bad players from your roster and Correct. add good players to your roster. And, uh, you know, Hosmer had, what, a decent opening week or so. He's been really bad since. And I'm ready for that change when that change comes. You know, Iowa today, they had a day game, a nice come-from-behind win against Louisville. You get the lineup, you don't see Matt Mervis in the lineup. They scored nine runs today without him. Are either of you like, hey, wait a minute, he's not in the lineup. Does this mean something's percolating? Because I know I have that when I see the lineup get posted and that name's not in the middle of the order. So I I did not see that lineup get posted, but had I seen it and not seen Mervis in it, I certainly would have had that thought. But uh, of course, Tommy Birch, who covers the Iowa Cubs for the Des Moines Register, he confirmed that Mervis was on the field hitting before the game. So that throws cold water on that entirely, unfortunately. Well, I, I in the future I probably will. Uh, today, no, because I didn't think there was any chance he was coming up today or tomorrow. I think I really think that either the the series against Washington. I feel like I, I that might be a jumping the gun a little bit, but I feel like this series against Washington, where you get a guy into a good spot. I think you know he's not facing L.A. He's not facing San Diego. Two teams that are expected to be pretty good. Uh, he's going to come in and face you know pretty weak pitching even Miami is weak pitching and then you do Miami into watch into Washington I feel like if you want to give a guy kind of a soft landing right I think those could be spots where early on in the season Matt Mervis could possibly appear like that, those are the kind of the places I'm I'm eyeing and don't forget that Mervis of course played at Marlins Park or I'm sorry Lone Lone Depot Park whatever he played there of course during the World Baseball Classic so he has some familiarity with the ballpark might be another good reason to call him up during that Miami season make the landing even softer in a ballpark a major league ballpark that he has played in before I just want to say how impressive I think that and not not to get off of Mervis a little bit, but Christopher Morrell, because we've also talked about in this mini conversation, has been in in Iowa. He's walked a ton. He's hitting for power today. He he hit a monster home run, 447 feet, 111.1 off the bat, just absolutely crushed. And watching him play every day, and I know you want to get him played appearance. You want to get him kind of daily play appearance, but there's not an argument to me that he's not one of the 26 best players in the Cubs organization, that he doesn't deserve to be in the major league roster. And I just, I I think at some point it's almost kind of detrimental to leave a guy down that long because he deserves to be in Chicago. And I think he needs to be here as soon as possible. Uh, Yeah. You know, waiting on Mervis. I get it. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I get it. You want to, you want to make sure he's ready. Morell, Morell, I think is ready. You said it. Morell can help this team immediately. He can help at third base and allow you to shift Patrick wisdom around DH wisdom, whatever you want to do. He can help you in the outfield for as long as Bellinger, of course, is on the paternity list. Speaking of Bellinger on the paternity list, 
Have we counted how many players from last year's Dodgers team are on the paternity list right now or have gone long. on the paternity list in the last week? Jeremy, how many is it? Five? I think six? it's five. It's yeah. five. That's a productive all-star break for that roster last oh, year. Yeah. My goodness. You know but, what was nine months ago, and it was in L.A. That's right. So even guys who were in that all-star game managed to be busy that week. Uh, yeah, Morel, Morel needs to be on this roster. Jeremy, you mentioned the walks. He has 13 of them. Right. 13 of them in 88 plate appearances with AAA Iowa. He's getting on base at a 421 clip. His AAA OPS, 1.137. I think he's worked on what you need him to work on. I think whatever you wanted him to try and focus on early in the season at Iowa, I think he's done that. Reward him and make this roster better by adding him to it. Have him show up in Miami smiling, hugging everyone in the clubhouse, and go from there. He had eight he home nothing runs. to show. Yeah. Yeah, you What's run. that? I was just saying he has nothing left to show, in my opinion. Just needed bats at the big league level for him. But, yeah, eight home runs for Chris Morrell. Um, Anytime you got a player nearing double-digit home runs at the end of the first month of the season, that's a guy who seemed ready for the season to get started. So a bit of a bummer that he's still toiling away there in Des Moines. And he's such a fun you know, guy to have around. It's infectious. I feel like not that this Cubs team needs a jolt because they're playing pretty well. And it seems like everybody's having a pretty good time at the ballpark. And like maybe some other teams uh, that we know of, uh, particularly on the <laughs> South side of the city. But uh, you know, I, I just like having him around because he, he'll probably even with the way they're playing right now and make it even brighter, you know, it, it just kind of picks everybody up. So I, I think I just, I, I want, you know, I was skeptical of Christopher Morrell last year. I thought, oh, this guy can't take a walk. He's not really like he's coming up from double A. I, I he won't be here long. He'll be gone once, you know, he's off the IL. But which was he was an IL replacement. But uh I right now I he, I don't see what he has left to prove. As you said, 13 walks in 19 games or in 20 games today. I, I I think he needs to be on this roster. And Jeremy, you said, you know, maybe waiting to give this team a jolt when they need it. What if instead of waiting until this team needed a jolt, what if you give them a boost like Morrell as things are going pretty well? We know this homestand has been rough, but as things are going better than expected, what if you gave them that boost from a guy like Morrell instead of waiting for the team to need a jolt or instead of waiting for a guy to get injured? You know, what if the ceiling on doing that is higher than the ceiling on waiting till you absolutely need him? to add him to the roster. And, you know, I'm sure the Cubs have considered that. I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but no matter what room I'm in, but, you know, what if instead of waiting until you need a jolt, what if you add him now and 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 let him help lift the team up from there? Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I was saying. I agree with you uh, there. I, I think if you put Chris Morrell on the team while they're playing pretty well, I think you'll see a lot of that. And I, I think it'll be pretty fun. And maybe we'll see even even more of Christopher Morrell, you know, that side of him because they'll actually be winning. He's not going to be doing this while the team's losing. And so it might even open up more of that side of Christopher Morrell. Yeah. Well, I'm curious how the Cubs respond here. They win four straight series before the series lost to the Dodgers. Rubber match tomorrow against the Padres. Then you got three in Miami, four in Washington, three at home versus Miami, and three at home against a St. Louis Cardinals team that's off to a historically bad start for that franchise. So you've got a stretch of baseball here against mediocre or underperforming teams, a chance to get back with some momentum going here uh, because the Cubs mostly played pretty good ball across the month of April, but finally ran into their first real hiccup against the Dodgers and the Padres now here. So how they respond will certainly be worth watching. Definitely. And and I think it's 
a good situation that they are going on this kind of trip to Miami and to Washington because those are not supposed to be great baseball teams. And I think, you know, if we can get out of this weekend, if they can win tomorrow, it'll be even better. But if we could get out of this weekend into these next two series, you know, the Cubs can kind of put a hurt on these two teams, hopefully, and really kind of, you know, bank some wins that they're going to need in the future. And and I, I to me, it was kind of these last two series were, as I said, tread water. And then we're going to move into these series where we can really pick up some wins. Like we beat up on Oakland. We need now we need to beat up on these two teams. Middle of May is going to be tough for the Cubs as well. Uh, long stretch with Minnesota, Houston, Philly, the Mets, Tampa Bay, San Diego. So a number of good teams right around the corner here. Um, important road trip coming up for the Cubs here out to Miami and out to Washington. And Randall, I believe you got some weather for this Cubs upcoming road trip. I do have some weather provided to us, as always, by at Alexander Hall of at Cubs weather. Follow both of those accounts, both him and them, for all of your Cubs weather needs. The series vibe in Miami, it's an easy one. It's indoors. But outside, it'll be typical Florida. Ronan, when you lived in Florida, uh, one of your compatriots down there described to me, yep, rains at 2.30 every day, like clockwork. Uh, so it'll be warm and humid with an outside chance for a storm daily. And again, Ronan, you having lived in Florida, you can say that's probably pretty standard. 5.30 Central Time start Friday. Outside, 84 degrees with a 30% chance of showers and storms. 86 degrees on Saturday, a 3.30 Central Time start. That's a little odd, but uh, again, 30% chance for showers and storms. And then a Peacock game, another streaming only game. That's what we needed. Sunday at 11.05 a.m. Central Time. It'll be 80 degrees with, stop me if you've heard this one, 30% chance of showers and storms. And then the Cubs will travel up the Eastern Seaboard to our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. And the series vibe there is one of my favorite words in all of baseball meteorology, and that is Dazzler. It is a Dazzler party in D.C. Cool, but comfortable. Mostly clear skies with an outside shot at a shower for the final game of the season. A Thursday, but the models are still iffy. Those models are always iffy on how fast that storm is going to cut across the Midwest to Washington, D.C., Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all 6.05 p.m. Central Time starts, and they will all be 60 degrees clear with winds at 10 to 15 miles per hour to the right field corner there in D.C. And then finally, the 12.05 uh, p.m. Central Time start Thursday, it'll be 66 degrees sunny watching for a shower late. So as always, that is the weather provided to us by at Alexander Hall of at Cubs Weather. Of course, the wonderful Cubs Weather account Follow them, follow him. He's great for tracking if the weather is going to affect the Cubs, how it's going to affect the Cubs, how it's going to affect your evening, and uh, how it's going to affect your mood, because weather is a very important thing. Thank you, as always, to Alexander for the forecast. Yeah, good stuff there. And hopefully the Cubs, lots of W's on this road trip. Randall, how, are you you going to be up that early to watch that 11.05 Peacock game? You know, I make absolutely no promises, none, none whatsoever. It's like when the Bears are on at noon and I don't feel like watching the Bears at noon. I would like to watch the Bears, but I would not like to do it at noon. And so I would like to watch the smaller Bears, but I may not feel like doing it at 11.05 a.m. We will see if I can uh, amble to the television, the streaming device, or if I just reach over and uh, turn on my clock radio and uh, let Pat take us the rest of the way. Now, Jeremy, if I'm not mistaken, C.J. Vosters the Blackhawks, of course, television play-by-play voice, he will be calling this game for Peacock, the Cubs uh, the Cubs Nationals game. So a little different perspective than some of like the Fox National guys, the ESPN National guys. That's one of the few things I do appreciate about the 
I guess the concept of the Peacock and the Apple TV, not the execution, but the concept is that you get some kind of new up and coming and occasionally good play-by-play voices calling these games. Do you know who the analysts are? Because they typically take one from a guy from each team. Like last week, Dexter Fowler called the game because it was the Rockies and Ruben Amaro Jr. called the game because it was the Phillies. And they had Matt Vaskirjan uh, doing the play-by-play. And that's all after last year where Jason Benetti was the guy, but he left uh, to go to Fox. So I, I was just curious if you knew that. If not, that's okay. But uh, uh, I'm curious to see who the Cubs designated like analyst was. Jeremy Wright, as always, as I said, Chris Vosters will uh, call the game. And the Cubs analyst uh, contributed will be Ryan Sweeney. And the Marlins analyst uh, being contributed will be Tommy Hutton. So as Jeremy said, they do typically pull kind of a guy from the local media sphere for each team. And uh, that will be Ryan Sweeney to Ronan's uh, uh, a little bit of displeasure. You heard as we uh, said that name there. Can't can't contain yeah. it. But the, uh, that is who will be on that broadcast. Well, I've been critical of Marquis. I think we've all been critical of Marquis on this podcast, but I Many do times. want to give them uh, a shout out. Two things I think that I've noticed either this season or in the last week that I think is a nice touch. Uh, just on this homestand, the introduction of the drone shots around Wrigley Field looks awesome. They're getting perspectives like through the light towers and things like that, that honestly has been a staple of video games for like 20 years now, but you've never been able to do it at a big league park. So that's brand new. This is a homestand is the first time that I've noticed that on a marquee broadcast. Uh, the other thing camera wise this year at Wrigley Field that's been a little bit different. They've embedded cameras now in the ads behind home plate like to the right or the left of the batters. And it gives you a really neat perspective of the bleachers, the scoreboard in center field, sort of reminiscent of an old shot back in the 80s that WGN used to have. So kudos to Marquee here. They're getting pretty creative with the camera angles. I feel like we've gotten rid of the camera in the dirt at second base thing, but what they have introduced with these drone shots and the new cameras behind home plate, huge net positive to the broadcasts. Absolutely. Marquee, more and more on its quest to become Chicago or Cubs ESPN, technically great with camera angles and camera technology, but also spending half the broadcast talking to a guy in the bleachers wearing a, a pink boa sweater. I'm, you know, I'm terribly sad that I missed that on the broadcast, but yeah, great. Technically the contents of the broadcast, they still leave a whole lot to be desired. I believe you're talking about the guy with the Kim Mulkey jacket. Uh, apparently tweeted that out that if you got 5,000 likes, he would wear Kim Mulkey's jacket to uh, the broadcast. But I, I think there's one other thing that you're forgetting, Ronan, about what we all love about Marquee, and that is the uh, segment or show or whatever it is, uh, Lounging with Levine. Yes, um, we noticed that on mute. Unfortunately, I didn't get to hear it. It's amazing some of the secondary programs they put on there. I was a little disappointed being home the last couple of days during the rain delay the other night. They just sort of defaulted to Cubs countdown. I could have thought there would have been more interesting type of programming than stuff that's just aired all the time, but that is what it is. And we were watching it, talking about Cubs third basements and Cubs relief pitchers in franchise history. That was the Thursday night game against the Dodgers. You want that rain delay theater like they used to have. Yeah, I just thought it would be more interesting. Uh, even like a documentary type thing would have been a little bit more appealing than those countdown lists. But uh, not a huge complaint really in the grand scheme of things. But really, I've been impressed with these new camera angles. That drone shot, which I didn't notice during the Dodgers series, I definitely noticed it here against the Padres. That is really, really cool. And um, it gives you, again, a unique look at the ballpark we've never really seen before. 
Yeah, you know, the, the ballpark we've all been to thousands of times, but anytime you can see it from a new angle, you know, I didn't realize, I guess, that it was a drone shot, but now that you mentioned it, they used that on tonight's broadcast where they had the drone stationed pretty much right behind and then above center field. Mm-hmm. You were looking between the video boards and I said, wow, that's a cool angle. And unfortunately, uh, Tatis Jr. was batting at the time, so I'm glad he didn't. But I was thinking, wow, wouldn't it be awesome to see like a home run from that angle? You know, it'd have to be like a one in a million director's take. But wouldn't it be awesome to see a guy homer from that angle and see the ball, you know, maybe go into to left center, see the ball the whole way from above. So that that is cool. And now that you mentioned it, I have noticed that. So again, even if the broadcast themselves still need some work, technically they're upping their game. They were really, you know, pushing it uh, for tonight's ball game. Uh, you know, the drone shots were everywhere. But uh, speaking of the ballpark, and I don't know if we're moving on and on a little bit, but one thing that I know that Roar and I did not like from when we went to the ball game, uh, last weekend of the Drew Smiley game. Uh, and for me, I don't know if I heard it opening day or the other game I went to, but the bring Jeremiah Paparaki welcoming everybody to the federal landmark and not the friendly confines anymore. That was a huge disappointment. I, I, I was very annoyed by that. And uh, uh, I, I might've even booted at the ballpark. Well, you should have. <laughs> um, I actually noticed that Paul Sullivan, of all people who blocked my Twitter. So I was on <laughs> the behind the yellow line Twitter account. And I get these, you know, tweets that pop up the recommended tweets. He pointed out, it may have been the Thursday night game against the Dodgers. So I was listening for it Friday afternoon at the ballpark. And sure enough, I heard it. Welcome to the federal landmark. Um, that really is a garbage type of a detail from the Chicago Cubs right now. And if you're a fan of a different fan base, well, one, I don't know why you're listening to this right now, but right. two, like you might be going, you know, aren't you nitpicking a little bit here? What does it matter? It matters a lot to me, actually, because there is nothing unique about being a federal landmark. There are federal landmarks all over the United States, and oftentimes they're used as a tax break for people who may own that property or manage that property. So there's nothing really unique about it. How many friendly confines exist in the United States? How many friendly confines exist in baseball? You had something unique. You had something that captured again, a unique element of Wrigley Field, and now you push it away for this federal landmark thing, it's very stupid. It's very tone deaf. And I don't agree with Paul Sullivan on much, but he was totally right to call that out. And I agree with him that that, that's a garbage move from the Cubs. And I hope somebody, somebody with the responsibility of paying attention to details will remedy that moving forward because the federal landmark moniker is totally cringe. Now, I, I will say I did not notice it, in my first game at Wrigley, but it's all, it's a thing created and pushed by people who have agendas and merchandise and brands to push and sell. So I don't love it on that basis. And I don't love it as being kind of canonized, made official by the team. So I don't like it on any level. I'm completely with the two of you. I would hope that's the sort of thing that gets phased out much sooner versus later. Well, there's a very popular Twitter account that leans into that. And there's, and then my response to that is that there's a segment of the fan base that thinks it's cute or fun or whatever. And again, I think it's totally cringe, but it's been a staple of marquee. Cole Wright says it all of the time. That's been something that he's really embraced. Well, I've been saying for years, I don't think Cole Wright really gets the Cubs. I don't think he really totally embraces baseball in many respects too. Sometimes he says things about the sport and I go, man, that's a real meat headed take from a guy who's around the sport every single day. So for him to say federal landmark, 
totally on cue. I'm not surprised by it, but it's disappointing. And I hope the Cubs distance themselves from that phrase. I think Cole Wright endorsing it is the best possible argument any of us could make uh, in, against against this particular element. Well, I, I agree with everything that's been said. As I said, I, I actually did boo it. I was just being, you know, a little coy there, but uh, definitely gave off the boos at the ballpark when the federal landmark was mentioned. And I agree with you, Randall. Like, whatever. If people want to say it on Twitter, I find it annoying. I find it cringe, as Ronan said. But now that the fact that, as you said, perfect words the cubs have like canonized it it's ridiculous to me to get rid of the friendly confines to get rid of that whole kind of uh, uh you know mystique of it and everything to something so bland to me as the federal landmark it it's just dumb but speaking of the federal landmark uh randall went to a game earlier this year i've been to that was my third game of the season ronan you were in town this week this past week i was your first trip back out to wrigley i know the game was amazing 13 nothing, Drew Smiley, but just getting back to Wrigleyville, the whole experience, getting, uh, you know, everything about it. How was that trip for you? Yeah, it was very nice to get back to Wrigley Field. I mean, everything was perfect. You had the rain delay Thursday night. You had nasty weather Saturday and Sunday, and we got 60 degrees and sunny skies at Wrigley Field. We got Drew Smiley with a perfect game in the eighth inning, four or five home runs in that game for the Cubs too. Like everything lined up perfectly and the Cubs finally got a new Harry Carey on the video board. They listened to us. We've been complaining for years on this podcast. Mix it up. Give us a new Harry. We finally got a new Harry Carey. It was a day game. He was singing in a day game late in his career. So all in all, very impressed despite the whole federal landmark thing, which did irritate me before first pitch. How about the transportation to Wrigley and from Wrigley? Well, I have ridden, I've ridden the red line from the Howard stop, honest to God, maybe 125, 150, probably a full season's worth, 162 games probably in my life from the Howard stop. And when the opened, the renovated Howard stop in 2001, I remember it was a big deal because Jeremy, we're talking about this. We used to go to Howard before it was renovated and you would park on like a gravel lot work your way into the train depot, and then hit the road. Well, 20 years ago, when the 2001 Cubs were setting records the first half of the year, they built this brand new train station, and they've done absolutely nothing to upkeep it in the last 20 years. And go back year in and year out, it's kind of falling apart. It's getting worse and worse. I don't want to disgust our audiences, so I will be respectful with the words I use here. I've given Randall great details. What we witnessed in the stairwell, going from the parking deck to the red line platform, was grotesque. I've never experienced anything quite like that before. I will never forget it. It will not prevent me from going to Howard in the future, arriving red line to a ball game. It's still my preferred way to go to the ballpark. But that was a distinct trip up the stairwell. And if you've ever been in that stairwell, you know exactly what we're talking about. It was especially thick on Friday afternoon in Chicago. It's what how I felt the opposing announcers, the people going to the visiting booth where the opossum was living how they must have walked into the first time when they were like we're not broadcasting from this booth we're broadcasting from that booth down there that has a pole down the middle and you can't even see but we're not sitting in this booth yeah. and that's because i was there with ronan that's kind of how it what i kind of my takeaway from it was mm -hmm. it was it was it was historic it was honestly truly historic and i knew we were in trouble we parked the car we're walking towards the stairwell and the doors were propped open. Oh, and I turned around. You're totally right. Randall. I turned around and I said, oh, we're in for a treat. We were in for a treat 
in that stairwell. Uh, but it was much better after that. You finally got up on the train uh, and then got down to the ballpark. Uh, some interesting characters, of course, will join you every time you ride those trains through the city. But uh, all in all, just a great experience. I, I still get those goosebumps when you start to pull up. You get to Sheridan. You know, you pass through Uptown. You get to Sheridan. You start pulling into the Wrigleyville area. You start to see the light stanchions and the flagpoles. That never gets old. And if that ev- does ever get old, then there's a problem, right? Something's not right there. Um, super fun to experience in that. And then best case scenario for the Cubs to get that big W there. Um, not a full house by any means. Very comfortable. A lot of space for us there in the upper deck. And while there was a fair amount of Dodger fans, they didn't have anything to cheer about. So they weren't that obnoxious really to us at all. Um, and always interesting when you see a guy like Cody Bellinger Dodger jerseys walking around the ballpark. Um, I will give Dodger fans credit. I feel like both in LA and in Chicago, they had a warm reception for Cody Bellinger. Even though it didn't end great there, it seems like he's well-received and was a fan favorite. And I like when fan bases can do that, even on the road. They, they received him better than the whole plate umpire did. Yeah, in L.A. Uh, and we had a warm reception for Jason Hayward on, on the on the other mm-hmm. side of that as well. Uh, just one more thing, though. Walking out of the L, the red line, walking out of the Addison, you know, the front exit, and you walk, you get to, you know, uh, Sheffield, and you see right there the DraftKings Sportsbook. What was your takeaway on that? Oh, man, I'm eager to see it when it's open, right? Because it's still not functional. Another month or so until that thing is functional. So it's dark. It sort of juts out from the side of the ballpark, but it's completely, you know, pitch black, basically, in the glass there. You couldn't really see or get the vibe if there was anything going on inside. Um, I, I'm, I don't have the, the knee-jerk reaction that I think a lot of Cubs fans have, which is maybe a little bit ironic because historically I've been very, very uh, picky about what happens to the ballpark. And I think these renovations have maybe dumbed that down for me a little bit, right? The namesake of our show here behind the yellow line was the yellow line that you could stand behind in the lower deck in standing room only. We did that 30 times probably in high school, going to ball games and standing there for five, 10, 15 bucks to go to those games. That did not survive the renovation. So I still love Wrigley Field. It's great to go to the ballpark, but there's some things that have been removed from that ballpark. So I think the addition of the DraftKings doesn't hurt me like it hurts other folks or irritates other folks, but it was a dead zone, right? It's not open yet. The fans aren't able to interact with it in any way. So it just sort of felt like this dark, roped off area on the side of the ballpark and what should be a very popular entrance to the ballpark there when you come off the train. You know, it's like this obsidian monolith that just emerged from the side of the ballpark, like a a big, dark alien spacecraft that landed in the middle of Wrigleyville and opened up a sports book from the the, the gambling casino planet. Yeah, Yeah, I don't love it. I don't have any use for it. I don't have any need for it. You know, it might actually have more utility to me as like a deck on the back of the upper deck that you can walk Mm -hmm. out on top of from Wrigley. It'll have a whole lot more use to me as that when it's open than it will for its intended purpose. That's a, that's a really expensive observation deck on Wrigley. Well, I am still sour about losing that upper deck patio behind home plate in the upper deck. That's That's now the private club. Um, In order to get, in fact, from the first base to third base side of the upper deck, you've got to walk through this outdoor narrow catwalk because that whole section is private space. Now I really wanted on Friday to just go up there grab a drink, look at the skyline, take in the city like we did so many times before. But that, again, is one more thing that's been pulled from Cubs fans in these Wrigley renovations. I will forever miss those seats right under the press box. They were oh, the yeah. perfect combination of value and and, uh, and visage 
I will always miss those. And like you said, now to get from one side of the upper deck to the other, you have to walk down, you have to walk across that uh, walkway where literally your betters look down upon you from mm-hmm. their their premium patio back there. And I will I will always that will always be my least favorite thing about these renovations. Well, well, I, I'll hold off on saying the word "betters" there, Randall. They ain't better, but uh, wealthier, maybe not better. But uh, you know, it is kind of funny when you do go on StubHub or whatever, and you look and you see like right behind home plate, and it's like a couple hundred bucks uh, to sit there, and then you look like one section over, and it's like thirty dollars, <laughs> and it's like whoa, one section over. But but just to go back a little bit to the the sports book, which I hope I agree with you. Hope getting that huge patio out there. Will be will be nice, but I kind of feel like the sports book itself, how it fits into Wrigleyville and Wrigley, it's like the uncanny valley kind of of like a building. Where if you're not familiar with the uncanny valley, the idea is like for you know as CGI or robotics or whatever, as it gets closer to being like looking more like a real human, it gets kind of creepier and more awkward. And that's kind of how I feel about it. It's like it looks kind of close to looking kind of like Wrigley and like it fits, but it kind of just, just there's just something off about it. There's something not quite right about it. Maybe it'll look better when it's open and there'll be people around and whatever. It's just there's just something a little bit off, like with the stainless steel and the green and all the giant wind glass windows. I, I don't know what it is, but that's just kind of how I would describe it. It just, it just doesn't completely fit with the aesthetic of the ballpark. You know, it's just it just it stands out. It stands out. It doesn't really blend in. Again, yeah. that's the whole point, I'm sure. But uh, And I do want to say about the, the club seating underneath the press box, Cubs, my loyalty can be bought if you do want me to turn around and endorse those seats. Feel more than free to like, comp me a ticket, and I'll be more than happy to, to shill for you. My loyalty can be bought. You know where to find me. Hit me up. Well, hey, we should if they want to come us all tickets, and we can do a podcast from sure. uh, the the club. Sure. Uh, I we're all willing to be bought by the Cubs. Yeah, well, they have about three inches of padding on those seats that the seats we were in did not have uh, awarded to them. But another complaint that I have about luxury seating as a whole, and it, Wrigley Field is by far uh, not the worst example of this. I think Yankee Stadium might be the worst example of this. It's very infrequent during a game that luxury seating is full. Because luxury seating comes with other luxury amenities, and those people don't want to go sit and watch a ball game. They want to go stand on the deck, or they want to go underground and watch the game on TV, even though they've got front row seats. So those areas end up being empty, and I hate that part of it as well. Looking over to our left, the section being really maybe a third full, just rows of empty seats there, and then looking up behind them, and there's a bunch of people standing with their back to the field. Like, that stuff stinks. And you see it behind home plate at Wrigley Field as well. There's a decent crowd at the ballpark, but those first inning or so when the game's on, the seats behind home plate are empty because those folks are down eating in their luxury space underground. So that stuff kind of always irritates me. I think it takes maybe the best fans further away from the action, which is obviously a detriment as well to the atmosphere in the ballpark. But it is what it is. And getting out to Wrigley Field for the first time this year was a great feeling. Right now, I do not have another game lined up this year uh, at Wrigley. I got three games at Coors in September. But I got to figure that out if there's going to be another opportunity to get back. Um, A trip to Europe in July complicates things in terms of getting around. But I'd like to get out to the ballpark at least one more time. Um, The Ivy was just starting to turn. It'd be nice to get there when it's fully green. Why didn't you align your trip to Europe with the Cubs going to London? Seems to me that's a missed opportunity on your part. No, you see, when you you make these cross-world travel trips, there's a lot of people whose schedules 
you're trying to align it with. And, and the Cubs um, are one of those people, right? Yeah, I, 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 I'm okay, actually, not being in London for it. And I also want it to be stateside for the 4th of July. It's the best day of the year, in my opinion. I did want it to be stateside, so we'll head out after. Oh, but, but one thing we did learn when we were at the ballpark is that Patrick Wisdom has a castle in Ireland. And so yes. I expect to, you to find Patrick Wisdom's castle and to, photo, to uh, photograph it for us so we can see what's going on inside there. Sorry, Mario, your Patrick Wisdom is in another castle. Yeah, exactly. That was cool. Uh, there is some nice stuff on the video board at Wrigley. That was one of them. And yeah, there'll be some uh, photos, I'm sure, that'll make their way onto the BTYL Twitter account this July. Uh, well, what else? Cubs related here before we bring this thing home. You know, you'll win, win this game against the Padres tomorrow or today as our, our listeners listen to this. Make it a three and four homestand. Go out there on the road to the NL East, make some hay. If the Cubs are to have any hope of competing this season when all is said and done, you need to bank these wins against bad teams. So make it happen this weekend. 100% correct on that, uh, Randall. The Cubs, you need to bank wins against bad teams. Like, it's something you kind of have to do. Yeah, it's not going to necessarily kill you if you if you drop a game here or there or maybe even lose a series. But the best way for this Cubs team to compete is to, you know, be bump slayers. Go beat up on some bad teams. Right now, you're 13 and 10. You're three back of, of the Pirates. Who are, you know, it's kind of crazy that it's the Pirates, but we don't really expect the Pirates to be there at the end of the day. We don't, uh, you're two back of the Brewers. So, this is an opportunity, I feel like, to really make an impact with this uh, this team. So, even worst case scenario, you go on this trip two, two over 500, and then you can get out of this trip. You know, a handful of games over 500, that would be very successful to me. And, you know, I, I do want to say I wasn't super enthused about the Cubs having to go out to Oakland and play in what passes for a ballpark. And, by the way, I know you, it was right after we got off the the air last week that the A's announced their move to Vegas, which, Ronan, I know you're not a big fan of. In in past years, that might not have been the case when you were playing, um, you know, one division instead of the entire AL, the Cubs might not have gotten to play Oakland, but the fact that you're doing this means you're also going to get games against Kansas City, games against Detroit, games against every other team in the AL, including the ones who are struggling. So that gives you more games against bad teams, and it gives you more opportunity to hopefully bank those wins. They've already cashed that in with Oakland. Hopefully they can do that as they go through the rest of the dregs of the AL throughout the season. And you're guaranteed to get some games against the White Sox where who knows where they'll be. And right now you're looking at some games against, you know, the Reds and the Cardinals in your division where who knows there'd be. And there's one thing, it's not really Cubs related. I do want to bring up is how about Jordan Walker getting already getting dropped down to the minor leagues. To me, that was pretty crazy that they've already a guy who, yeah, I know he's been in a rut a little bit lately, but for a 20 year old rookie, I thought he's handling himself pretty well. And they're already kind of messing with this kid by sending him down. So I, I don't know what's going on there. They're not just sending him down. They're sending him down in favor of uh, journeyman, utility man, Taylor Motter. You know, it's a confusing decision, but I support it. I think if the Cardinals think he needs to be in AAA, I support their decision. I support them going and eating shit. Oh, well, <laughs> it's hard to pick up after that. But I also want to point out they DFA'd Taylor Motter two days ago, I believe. And then he cleared waivers. And then they're like, you know what? Let's sign him back to a major league contract and put him back on the 40-man roster. How crazy is that? Well, the Cardinals, the Cardinals are in states of modern right now, is what they're in. Solid, yeah. solid liquid and ass. 
pretty crazy. It's been a, a tough start to the year for the St. Louis Cardinals. Maybe you guys just answered this, but beyond the Cubs here, and let's say beyond the Cardinals, because we did just address it. Um, Jeremy, you mentioned the Pirates a minute ago, but what do you think has been the most surprising story this first month of the season in terms of teams? Like not the pitch clock or anything like that, but good or bad, maybe the most surprising story the first month of the year. For me, it's the Rays. I think we knew there was talent on that roster, but just being the Tampa Bay Rays, they don't really take up a whole lot of airwave space, but they started the season as they did undefeated. They've continued that pace. You know, they're not undefeated anymore, but they've continued very strong. So that's my surprise is that the the Tampa Bay Rays are, you know, leading the world in just about everything good right now. So that's my surprise. For me, I I think it's got to be, I I know we mentioned it a little bit, but I I think it's, got to be the pirates i feel like yeah the the rays and they've definitely been surprising at how good they've been but we all kind of expected them to be good so it's a little bit crazy that they're they're i just feel like the the most unexpected thing is the pirates being nine games over 500 like that's kind of crazy to me nobody expected that and i i the pirates you know they've been they, they even lost o'neill cruz like he's out for the year and they've just been hitting andrew mccutcheon looks great in pittsburgh uh, it's crazy. Jack Sawinski, the kid from Chicago, has been dominant. Uh, I I don't expect the Pirates to kind of, you know, continue this all season long. But if you have to tell me, like, what's the one craziest thing that you really did came out of nowhere, couldn't possibly expect. Like, I could see the Cardinals struggling. I could see, you know, the Dodgers and the Padres kind of struggling. Yeah, it's surprising the Diamondbacks are out. I can even see the White Sox struggling. It's been bad, but I could see them struggling. I never saw thought in a million years the Pirates would come out and just be dominant. Yeah, and good for them, too, for that long contract extension for Brian Reynolds. They finally join the 100 Club, giving out a contract worth more than $100 million. Uh, Jeremy, you named a bunch of teams there, uh, including the team that I think has been the most surprising the first month of the season. That is the Chicago White Sox. Uh, You said that, yeah, you didn't think that maybe they would be all that good. I did not peg them as the third worst team in Major League Baseball. I did not peg them at the end of April having a worse record than the Colorado Rockies. It is really bad for the White Sox right now. They've lost seven straight. They just got smoked by the uh, by the uh, Toronto Blue Jays rather in a sweep up in Canada. Um, the sky is really falling apart. And I think what you're thinking now is the White Sox is well, what can we get for Dylan Cease? Or what's the trade market for any number of other players? This is a team that thought right now they would be in the middle of their contention of winning a world championship, right? We, we, we thought that this team at this point in time, when they started the rebuild in 2016, that right now would be the heart of them being at their peak and what's been a bad division. They've had more managers than they've had playoff wins throughout this rebuild. That's really amazing to me. It's been a disaster and the season, just a total dumpster fire on the South side. I think the White Sox should package Dylan Cease and Eloy Jimenez, trade him to the Mets for Jose Quintana. Wow. I'll take him on the uh, North side, actually. Be more than happy to inject both of those guys into the Cubs. I'll I'll take Cease. Yeah. Uh, Eloy, I mean, I would like, I just feel like Eloy needs a little bit of work right now. He's, he's been pretty, pretty not good for the White Sox this season, but I, I, yeah, the White Sox have definitely been a surprise in terms of how bad it's been. But to me, I, I feel like they always have injuries, right? This team is always hurt. And the one thing they don't seemingly ever do is position themselves to kind of, you know, is to, you know, to, to, fit, to fill out the roster so that when their guys get hurt, which they know their guys are going to get hurt, 
They can have guys that can fill in a little bit. It's always kind of like they're heavily reliant on their top players and they need them to be good. And if they're not good and if they're not healthy, they're bad. They're really bad. Someone kind of like the lineups they're rolling out with their players playing the way they are, are like basically triple A lineups. I mean, they get struck out 17 times a day. They ended 10 of 11 strikeouts. Luis Robert might be the easiest player in major league baseball to pitch to. It's just, he, you, you throw him anything in the zone or excuse me, out of the zone. He's just swinging every time up. The only thing he can do is if he makes a hard contact on a hanging breaking ball or a fastball in the zone, he's four for his last 51, I think with 18, wow. uh, 20 strikeouts. It's not good. And so I just, it's to me, it's when you, when you, when they don't have the reinforcements, like all these kind of elite teams do, when you look at a really good baseball team, like, like let's say the Rays, every player on the roster can contribute in some way. If guy gets hurt, somebody's coming up, somebody's doing something. The White Sox don't have that. Anderson out, Moncada out, Aloy's been out. Who are you playing? You're playing Lenin Sosa. You're playing Romy Gonzalez. You're playing guys that can't, guys, Monte Grandal might be hurt. You're not playing anybody, anybody that can really be a, a, a contributor to this team. So that's just kind of my always, always view on the White Sox, where they need all their guys to be hitting at all times. There's no depth. There's no depth exactly. whatsoever. And the, the, the only plan is to have every player on that roster have a career year at the same time, which not coincidentally is how they won they mar- their most recent title. And it, so it worked for them once, and they've been trying to recreate it since. It has not happened. It's been bad. Those Sox fans are really starting to get uh, fried, right? Um, you know, it's one thing to be frustrated with your team's performance. I, I think a lot of White Sox fans reluctantly bought into the rebuild. They saw what happened on the north side. They saw the success the Cubs had after a really difficult rebuild there, trying to go from the 2000-2011 Cubs mm-hmm. to what ended up being a World Series title. They traded a bunch of fan favorite guys, you know, in order to build up this roster. And then right when that window opened, they stopped spending money. They fire a manager that gets them in the playoffs for the first time in 13 years. They hire Tony Larusa of all guys. And, it, and then they just stop going out and trying to acquire big-time talent. So uh, really disappointing for Sox fans right now. Um, I just think about the state of the Chicago Bulls. I think about the White Sox. There's a common denominator in all of this. And unfortunately, it continues to plague big-time sports in the city of Chicago. It's not good. It's not good. I, I don't know if you're a fan of the Bulls or if you're a fan of the White Sox. Who's feeling better right now? Like if you're a Bulls fan or White Sox fan, I don't know. And it's crazy. Uh, I guess right, probably right now a Bulls fan because their season's over <laughs> and the White yeah. Sox have to have to go through it. But, uh, you know, what you mentioned about the rebuild, and this kind of goes back to your common denominator, you know, the Cubs went out and they got Theo Epstein. They went out, they got Jed Hoyer. They put their faith in people who are considered elite top-end executives by in Major League Baseball. The White Sox just they did their rebuild with guys that they've had for 20 plus years. You know, Rick Hahn's been around the White Sox forever. Kenny Williams has been in charge, you know, of the White Sox since the year 2000, basically. Uh, he's president of baseball operations. He rarely ever talks, though he did talk yesterday and he said accountability is not a problem here, which is a little bit ridiculous because Rick Hahn and, and Kenny Williams have been around for 25 years. What are these guys been doing? So that's my one point why I always make the white side. And I do want to do, and I, I don't want to gatekeep or anything about, you know, certain fandoms, but for all these kind of there, I did see some people that were, and, and I know there were some tweets about this, but I did see some people over the last couple of years. They were like, well, the Cubs don't care about winning. I want to go to a team that's going to win. I'm going to be a white Sox fan. Now. Like 
to me, I'll welcome anybody back on the Cubs fandom, but like they might need to pay a penance. Like get over yourself a little bit, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Now, did Kenny tell anyone to stay out of White Sox business? Uh, I've heard that clip played a lot though on uh, <laughs> on on some local radio right now after what Kenny said yesterday, where he was basically got called up by on the phone and, and said, Look, should the train he's he said <laughs> the train is off the rails, and that's not good. No. April 26th, April 25th, yesterday, when your president of baseball operations in the middle of your contention window is saying the train is off the rails. Yeah, Jeremy, you, you mentioned there were some people who viewed the White Sox as the hot team, the team trying to win, and that they were jumping ship from the Cubs or they were adding the White Sox. To those people, I say, good night, good luck. I hope you had fun. You know, your way of saying you don't want to gatekeep, you're more than happy to welcome these people in, but they need to pay a little, pay a little bit of a toll. I'm good with that. Make the check out to me for having to to deal with your, your. I, I was going to say a word, but I want to, I want to tone it down. Make the mm-hmm. check out to me for having to deal with that notion. But again, to those people, I hope you enjoyed your jumping ship. Uh, yeah. And I just want to be clear, like. I have always been a kind of a two team guy in terms of like, I think in Chicago, you got two teams. You got the luxury of having two teams. I don't mind anybody that you know, kind of will root for both teams or whatever. I'm just talking about specifically people that were like, you know, the Cubs. They don't care anymore. I'm off the Cubs bandwagon. I'm done with them. I want to go to a real team and like jump ship because they put their faith in Jerry Reinsdorf for whatever reason. Those are the people I'm talking about. Yeah, and again, to those people, I hope they enjoyed themselves. Well, Randall, you mentioned Oakland. We're going to save that for next week. I've got a lot of thoughts on what's going on with the A's franchise. Not a done deal that they're going to Vegas, but it looks awfully imminent now that some land has been purchased and the wheels are in motion. But we'll save that again for next time. Um, Cubs, Padres Thursday. We'll see if they can salvage that series. And then a trip out east into next week. Uh, not sure when we're going to do our next show, guys. I got conflicts Wednesday and Thursday next week. Uh, one of the sports writers... Favored musicians is passing through Denver, a guy I've been listening to for a long time. So looking forward to getting out to Red Rocks and taking that in. But we'll get a show in next week. We'll have plenty to talk about on that front. Ronan, let's have the Cubs bring you a birthday W on Thursday. Well, Randall, I've always said, too, what's mine is yours. So happy birthday to you as well. Tomorrow, let's get that birthday. uh, Get the birthday W for Randall. And I just want to say one more thing. You can wish Ronan a happy birthday at both at Ronan O'Shea and at BTYL Pod on Twitter. And at Randall J. Sanders. And at Randall J. Sanders. We'll be very happy to hear from you. All right, we'll see you next week here on Behind the Yellow Line.